the Women of Web3 podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Ingram. I'm also the founder of Women of Web3. We're a community that's connecting women in the next iteration of the internet. We've got in-person events in London, Twitter spaces, this podcast, and we've got a talent collective that you can apply to be part of. So you can get approached by Web3 employers about potential roles in crypto, DeFi, NFTs, and more. It's also the best place if you're a Web3 company and want some amazing female talent to grow your startup. Just head to womenofweb3.co slash jobs. Today I'm being joined by the lovely Susie Bat. Susie's the crypto ecosystem lead for Opera, the internet browser that's been around for 25 years and is now getting known again for one of its newer products, a Web3 native browser. I met Susie at NFT London. I thought she was such a brilliant, warm person and that she'd be great for this podcast as she's in the Web3 space. And I thought it was interesting that the thing that drives her is social impact. That's how she ended up getting hooked on blockchain. And she's interested in sort of how it can like cut out bureaucratic processes, get rid of fraud. She's a super interesting character. Susie's lived and worked in Egypt, Israel, Palestine, and is now in upstate New York. So without further ado, here's Susie. Welcome to the show, Susie. Could you start off by saying who you are and what you do? Hi, Lauren. Nice to see you again. Um, my name is Susie Bat, and I am lead for crypto ecosystem at Opera, part of Opera Browser. My role at Opera is to help usher in Web3 culture and content into opera ecosystem. We always start off things with a bit of a jargon buster. I was going to get you to describe a slightly tricky one, which is what is a centralized exchange? In simple terms, a centralized exchange is an intermediary between buyers and sellers. That intermediary makes money by charging commissions and transaction fees. And examples of this would be FTX, but others include Coinbase, Crypto.com, Gemini, Binance. And the opposite of this, which a lot of um, OG crypto blockchain folks would define DEXs as the true spirit of what crypto was supposed to represent, which is DEXs are a peer-to-peer marketplace that allows users to trade and exchange without an intermediary, without that interface um, from central authorities. So an example of this would be Uniswap, PancakeSwap, DYDX, Kyber, um, the Cosmos chain. So it's philosophically different, it's technically different, and the business plans are are different for each. Amazing. Thank you. And there was a couple of uh, decentralized exchanges I hadn't even heard of because I'm still new on the crypto side of the journey. But you're now crypto ecosystem lead at Opera, like you mentioned. I'm interested to know, would that crypto ecosystem now be called more like a Web3 ecosystem? Because, you know, uh, I feel like crypto is having a bit of a rebrand. Yeah, I'd love to know more about your role, basically. So, yeah, it does do that every these, um, the jargon sort of shifts. But when I really first started in 2017, everything was blockchain. As you may remember, the, the, the term was blockchain everything. And then we moved into crypto and now we're moving into Web3. Whatever it is, I think it's the next iteration of the Internet of Things. It's the next iteration of Web1, which was just getting information. And then Web2 was like getting and distributing information. And now Web3 includes all that, but like creating and owning. So I guess it's just whatever you want to call it. It's like the next iteration of where we go in this technology, which 
nods to ownership and creating peer-to-peer exchanges. So what does your role involve at Opera? What kind of thing have you been working on? So um, my background is in blockchain and the tech piece of developing on blockchains. And Opera being a browser company is pivoting towards all things Web3, which is kind of the decentralization of how to access information, how to purchase things, how to get rewarded, how to be part of a community. So my role is to take lessons learned and what's happening currently in the space and inject it into the organization so that we can advance and move forward and be the product that the next generation will want and need. So Opera's been around for 25 years. Back in the mid-90s, we launched the browser, the Red O, from Oslo, from Norway. And it was the first mobile browser embedded in a phone, with Nokia and Ericsson being the first and the, the leaders in that sort of space. And I remember using Opera, actually, as a teenager. I can't actually remember the reason I first tried or downloaded Google Chrome, but I, I haven't I haven't switched browser since then. But I think it's one of those things where it's just out of laziness of like, I haven't really switched my bank account either. And I'm sure that's the case for a lot of people. <laughs> what do you think drives the user behavior in choosing a browser? Well, certainly it is one of those things that's hard to switch. We've made it a little easier. You can directly import your tabs from Chrome over to Opera. I think what's unique about Opera is that it's always built around innovation and its nimble culture and Scandinavian flair gives it that need to innovate. It's, you know, it's in our DNA. It's in the EVP's DNA, the upper management to like constantly be pushing like the boundaries of what can be done. And with all of our products, it started, you know, smaller and then we'll spin it out and grow it. And as we see tractions and metrics and, you know, trends, we'll adjust the product accordingly. But the base layer of security and privacy and easy UI UX and this sort of fun experience is the basis for all four of the browsers. Because mm, you've got a, a sort of crypto or Web3 specific browser, right? So is that why a lot of people are switching to Opera? So we have four browsers, yes. The main browser is the Red O, the flagship browser. Then we have Opera Mini. That's a, a very strong product and number one browser in Africa because of its ability to move data and the throughput on cellular networks, which is sort of what the infrastructure calls for. Then we have the Opera GX browser, which is a gaming browser and, you know, first of its kind, and it's a, a leader in the space. And then we wanted to move into this Web3 experimental space of integrating multi-blockchains and allowing the user to choose what wallets they natively want to interact with without adding an API to the browser so that copy and pasting is unnecessary. There's less propensity for phishing and security breaches. Plus for normies, you know, toggling between wallets or 
not even knowing which wallet to use is probably um, a an hindrance for adoption. So we've kind of removed all those barriers in the Web3 browser and aimed for ease of use with the security features and the trusted brand that we have and 380 million users around the world. Wow. <laughs> Speaks for itself then. I mean, it, it makes sense to me that people would want a sort of crypto or Web3 native browser to sort of go and start exploring the, the wilds of Web3. Yeah, it's the support for cryptocurrency and NFT exchanges and dApps decentralized apps, all featured with a built-in wallet. So I, I know from when we met at NFT London, I know that the thing that first got you interested in blockchain was the social impact potential. That was what first kind of got you excited about it. And um, it was really interesting hearing about that from you. So yeah, I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah, I'd love to talk about it because everyone has such an interesting story into blockchain and web three. Um, and mine came through, uh, social impact and, and cl my climate work with the world bank and U S state department arm, um, of, of USAID. And I was doing most, a lot of work in the middle East. Um, most of my work was in, in Egypt and Palestine, but I have, um, some friends who were doing, um, refugee resettlement work in Jordan um, for Syrian refugees. And they had this new system using blockchain. And the UN had built a private blockchain um, with the help of consensus. Originally, you would be, as a, as a refugee, you would be given vouchers, and that would allow you to purchase things um, and provisions at various uh, stores. And that was fraught with fraud and black market popped up and um, buying things like cigarettes, which um, was not the intention. And so by virtue of blockchain, they would usher in um, uh, these customers into the stores and scan by virtue of a ret retinal scan then settle all the items that were purchased onto the blockchain. And it was eliminating tremendous amounts of bank fees, like millions of dollars a month. And settlements became, you know, which were 30 days, um, were whittled down to three seconds. So it was saving time, money, um, um, expense, and, and uh, allowing... Um, sort of agency for these refugees who probably had to flee without ID, without money. And um, I thought to myself, my God, like the UN is being, <laughs> it's being really efficient and innovative. I want to know what this is. Like, why haven't I heard of this? And sure enough, there's a whole office of innovation around blockchain at the UN. And I um, connected with folks who are working on it at Consensus in Brooklyn. And I was like, I got to get a job here. Like, what the heck is blockchain? And I want to be a part of it. So I just leapt forward and, you know, through amazing women, got myself a job at Consensus working on like uh, develop, developers tooling in the academy and learning really about blockchain from, from devs. 
Amazing. Um, I love that story of just uh, seeing the use case in action and being like, right, I've got to get a piece of this. Like, how do I get involved? Actually, I was going to ask you about parenting in Web3 because uh, me and you have bonded over the kind of realness of that. You know, Web3 never sleeps and also our children never sleep. So <laughs> it doesn't necessarily seem that conducive to like a, a good working environment. So yeah, how, how do you find the sort of the parenting in Web3 thing? I would say that it's actually been... The easiest part of my life working in Web3 um, and parenting because, and who knows, maybe it's also because we just came out of a pandemic, which was like brutal. But I, I feel that having um, a decentralized workplace where you can work from wherever, as long as you communicate, over communicate and express, you know, what time zone you're in and when things can be expected. Um, I think that's maybe second nature for, for mothers or women where we tend to be very communicative. You know, a friend of mine who I worked with at Consensus always talked about layer zero as being people, right? Like layer one is the settlement chain. Layer two, we've talked about um, you know, and now we're talking layer three is ZKP rollups, but layer zero is always people. And we're, you know, with, with mothers and learning, um, how to like raise, uh, humans, I think we've got like, um, an innate ability to kind of relate. Um, I'm not saying men don't, but this is women in web three podcasts. So I'm going to focus on women. Um, but it's really about being able to relate and, and working with like-minded people. And I found my tribe in, in Web3. And um, there was this beautiful quote. Can I read a quote? Absolutely. I was coming back from DevConnect uh, conference in Amsterdam in April. And I had my kids in tow because this conference came upon the same time as uh, their spring break. So I brought them to the conference and they helped out with the hackathon and they, you know, were, were there for my meetings, all three of them. Anyways, I read this on the, on the plane back to the States and I, I was like, yes, this is exactly what resonates with me. And this is the quote. The truth is, is that motherhood is as beautiful as it looks on congratulation cards, but it can also be a mess. It's important to be honest about this. No real change is possible until working mothers stop trying to be all things to all people. Perfect at work, perfect as partners, perfect as mothers, with each role kept entirely separate. Rather than hermetically sealing motherhood off from workplace struggles and triumphs, women should embrace the seepage between their worlds for them, but also for their sons and daughters. Wow. I definitely feel that as well. And the part about hermetically sealing off motherhood, I worry that by talking about being a, a mum uh, or like even like being a parent, like you know the existence of uh, like a baby or, or of kids in in a life, I wonder if I'm sort of putting myself at a disadvantage by even talking about it as though I'm inadvertently excluding myself from certain opportunities by talking about it. No, I think we we um, make it a disadvantage if we don't talk about it, mm. because the reality is everybody has a mother. Everybody has either a sister 
or a daughter or a girlfriend or a wife. And like, they care about them immensely. And like for us to be whole and to be great employees or mothers or spouses or, well, there goes my kids. Um, <laughs> then, then we have to be wholehearted and honest in our work. And if we want equality, we have to express in the workplace and be honest with how hard it is at times. And, you know, for our colleagues who are younger than us and who haven't experienced, you know, getting married or having kids yet, like that it's not all easy and it's not all that hard, but it's, it's just what it is. And that the less we cover it up or make it not a reality, it's a disadvantage for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And it it makes me realize that I didn't really understand I can definitely hear your kids. <laughs> we should just put your kids and my kids in a room with the cat. Because <laughs> <laughs> there are cats like rolling around in the back. Too. But this is the beauty of like working mothers and just being human. Exactly. I mean, I don't think I was that understanding when colleagues who were usually female colleagues, if they were talking about, say, their baby or their toddler or, you know, kid being sick, that, that that really impacted their ability to do their job. And it's never that I thought they were kind of skiving, anything like that, but I don't think I understood to what extent a kid being ill would prevent you from actually being able to do your work. Because like a sick baby just wants to be on you, will not be not held. Right. Like literally needs like all of your attention. It'd be very difficult to also have emails, let alone calls. Right. And rather than hiding it, it's it's saying this is my situation. This is when I can address whatever deadlines I have. This is unexpected. I'm sure you understand. And that's that. But just being open and honest feels good for me. And I'm sure for for colleagues who are, Mm. you know, waiting for us Mm -hmm. on stuff. But I have a funny story. I was on a call when I worked at Consensus. I worked with Joe Lubin, who's one of the co-founders um, of Ethereum and at Consensus. And I was on a Zoom call during the pandemic. And I remember one of my sons walking behind me in the Zoom, just kind of like, you know how they kind of vie to see who's on camera and like what's happening on the screen and pops up and he's naked. He's completely naked. And Joe says, whoa, what's going on over there? You know, and my son is like, whoa, you know, like, oh, I get pretty good some pants on. But, you know, it's like, what are you going to do? It's the boss. It's my kid and it's work. But it was funny and he got a big kick out of it and I was mortified. Okay, so so coming back more closely to, to Web3 and thinking about the kind of the future of it, what's coming next that has really got your attention? So I think that this next year, I think it will usher in a whole new platform of users through music. And music will bring in greater adoption, I think, than NFTs have because it's such a ubiquitous thing that everybody enjoys, uses. We hear it when we're shopping. We hear it when we're studying. It's embedded in so many facets of our life. With that, we will see more ticketing through blockchain, not only for fraud and distribution, but royalties. We'll see greater access to gated communities and artists. There'll be more perks and rewards. And I think we'll probably venture into 
owning fractional shares of music and performances, fundraising for artists. Mm. There's so many different ways we can take what we've experimented with in NFTs, but I'm really excited for what will come artistically um, in these peer-to-peer transactions that have to do with music. Yeah. Well, as in people buying and selling, say, music NFTs amongst themselves, do you mean? Well, collectibles for sure. But I'm saying like, I mean, if you just take Taylor Swift's launch of her new tour, that was a real big snafu with Ticketmaster last week. You know, I'm not saying blockchain could solve all those issues, but certainly there's a distribution and supply chain that is lacking in the process that we have currently. And so we're looking to take out intermediaries and hopefully reward the artists and those big fans appropriately. Yeah. And I think a lot of people understand that inherently of like, because, you know, we we read stories about people selling their back catalogues of work or examples like Taylor Swift, actually, in terms of that ownership piece. So I think people can understand it much more easily, you're right, than maybe the digital art NFTs, which people might see as either art being totally inaccessible and not part of their world or digital art being like well this is just like a little sort of graphic design that I might just see on like the side of a bus or whatever rather than um, right uh, a sort of collectible item but that we ascribe inherent value to yeah and that you have like a feeling towards right like music it evokes memories and images and you know wherever you are, you can access it. So I think music will be the great equalizer and massive onboarding to Web3 because there'll be so many ways to use blockchain technology in communities, rewards, ticketing, fundraising. Totally. One more thing I want to ask you about actually relating to NFTs is your DGen Knows platform, part of Opera, one of your products, which I got shown at NFT London. And I think it's a great tool for basically like gossip in a way of like just seeing the kind of behind the scenes of what's popular in NFTs. And so, you know, partly what's selling well, but it looked like you could see what other whales are buying. So like people that are uh, sort of massive collectors of NFTs, what, what they're buying, what they're investing in, and also being able to see things like whether new wallets were set up in order to buy a certain NFT. Mm-hmm. It seemed like a very good tool for sort of doing that research and sort of seeing the trends around what's happening with this stuff. So I'd love to hear a bit more about that or maybe even trends that you've seen on there. Sure. So we have spun up a first ever off-chain analytical tool for NFT collections called DGen Knows. You can access it through Opera browser, Opera crypto browser, or dgenknows.io. And, you know, we're giving everyone a tool to explore and understand NFTs and hopefully the next big project. You know, it scours uh, on-chain data and off-chain data like Twitter and Discord and packages it in a tool that helps discover and track and verify various digital collectibles. There are many different ways to use this data, but I like to think of it as more of a Bloomberg terminal for NFTs, where you can drill down into like a leaderboard and by understanding, you know, on our back end and under the hood, this gas burn leaderboard, you can see which projects are burning like the most gas. But more importantly, there's like small smart filters 
that help clean data and remove noise so that the integrity of the collection's performance is readily understood. And we know what that noise is because we've all been on Discord and Twitter and it's just like so hard to come through what's legit and what's not. So it helps the user peel away those layers and see by virtue of eliminating wash trades and verifying these collections, it can give you a better sense of what's legitimate and whether these trades are made in between wallets so that they're just not going back and forth. You know, that's what a wash trade is where you're, you're selling and then purchasing with another wallet only to sell it back and counting that as, you know, trades. Mm, In order to, in order to drive up the price. Exactly. Exactly. So there's also um, smart money functionality where it's defined by those who are currently holding the highest NFT value that we call whales, um, those who profit from the most in minting in the minting phase, and those who earn the most through trading on secondary markets. So if you're looking for the next big project, or you just are curious about uh, what projects a certain whale is looking at, um, you can drill down on those wallets and see what's, what's being kind of scooped up. Mm, I like that. Yeah. It's, it's like going under the hood and, and seeing what's, what's coming down the pike. It makes me think of when people used to ask me, like, how did you find out about blah, blah, event? I'm like, you know, how, how have you sort of tapped into this stuff? And there isn't really a short answer. It's the same with NFTs. There isn't some kind of information from on high that comes down to people about something like NFTs or what events are on and things like that. But actually, maybe this tool starts to be that of like a sort of starting place where it pulls in, like aggregates lots of this information so you can sort of start seeing the patterns for yourself um, rather than having to like spend hours on Discord. And yeah, you're right, trying to distinguish the signal from the noise because there was a, a lot of like... It's sensory overload, right? It's sensory overload on Twitter and on Discord. So it's peeling away that and then packaging the data in a way that helps you make informed decisions. This has been a super interesting conversation and I could talk about the parenting and Web3 a lot. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. So I was going to ask you, Susie, lastly, where can people find you? Well, I am on Twitter at SusieBatGirl, Bat with two Ts, or I'm just at every conference, either speaking or drumming up new business or just learning, learning what's coming up. So I hope to see you again next time I'm in London or next time in Europe uh, and definitely on your pod. So thanks for having me. This has been the Women of Web3 podcast brought to you by Women of Web3. If you enjoyed today's show, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts so more people can find the show. You can keep up to date with amazing jobs, opportunities, learning resources, and connect with other women by following at Women of Web3 Co on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. That's at Women of Web3 Co. Feel free to tweet us with any questions about the show, and thank you for listening.